0: have your Bible, I encourage you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one under one of the chairs in front of you and you will find our text on page 978 for this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. The church has been blessed over the centuries with great evangelists who God has used to bring people to saving faith in Christ as they proclaim the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for sinners. But one of the things that many evangelists have acknowledged and many more have acknowledged of evangelist ministries after they have gone is the, is the, the problem that many ministries geared to towards evangelism fail and what to do after conversion. Uh, You look back to people like uh, D.L. Moody and had just an amazing ministry in terms of clearly proclaiming the gospel and God uh, truly bringing conversion through that, but then what happens afterwards? And it was, in fact, not until after he was gone that people began to see this great need Billy Graham saw, uh, in fact, a great need following after the model of Moody and seeing the uh, the discrepancy that was there in that ministry. In fact, sought help and said, please develop, develop ways in which the people that come forward and experience saving faith, exercising saving faith, experiencing conversion at our meetings can, can be discipled and plugged in at local churches. There was a need to understand what happens after salvation. What Happens to a Christian? How do they continue to grow once they've committed their life to Christ? Well, this morning we find ourselves continuing in a series of sermons looking at the means by which God desires to grow His church. Specifically, we have seen that it is through the proclamation of the gospel, it is through gospel growth that God desires to build His church. And what we saw was that churches can increase in a number of different ways and for a number of different reasons, but true spiritual growth only happens as God's Word is prayerfully spoken to His people. Last week, we saw how this cycle begins through evangelism, through this initial proclamation of the gospel whereby God, by His Spirit, shines into the hearts of unbelievers His saving light that they might truly see the glory of Christ and trust Him as their Savior, following Him as Lord. That is how gospel growth begins. But where do you go from there? How do you continue to experience growth as a Christian? What is the means by which His disciples mature? And the answer that comes to us from the Bible is that disciples are grown the same way they are made by the prayerful speaking of God's Word. In fact, it it should be pretty clear that this church believes that if you stop and consider our time together in all of our different gatherings. If you were here uh, about an hour and a half ago, two hours ago, then you would have been in part of a class where a teacher provided instruction and facilitated discussion on God's Word. We come now to the service where we have prayed, we have sung God's praises, and yet the whole service is designed to build and culminate in this event where the Word of God is proclaimed and explained to God's people. Then we gather together in Sunday evenings in more informal settings, in homes with food and conversation, and yet the focus of that time whether it's through the Bible directly or whether it's through a book helping us understand the Bible, is the, the, the speaking of, the learning about, the discussion of God's Word and its application to our lives. Finally, in our regular schedule of meetings, if you were to come on Wednesday nights for our prayer service, you would understand that before we talk to God, we let Him talk to us and we look back to the passage that we looked at on Sunday morning, and we think back through its its major themes, we seek to apply it more deeply to our lives, and then based upon what God has told us through His Word, we then pray those things first to God before we bring the things that we are concerned about from Him. Are you seeing a pattern here? From beginning to end, this church is built around, and, and I'm glad for that, around God's Word. Hearing it read hearing it explained, and hopefully seeing it applied to our hearts that we might grow. That is the pattern that emerges from the Scriptures, that in order for God's people to be encouraged in their growth, the Word of God must be spoken and explained to us. Now I use, specifically me personally, I use the word encourage a lot. Have you noticed that? Some other people have, have picked up on some of my other little verbal uh, nuances and phrases and rid me about them a little bit in community groups, and everybody has those things. But one of the words that I, frankly, default to is the word encourage or encouragement. It's because it is a very powerful, if you understand it, it's a very powerful biblical term. But the question is, how does encouragement and gospel growth relate? What is how, What is encouragement? I throw the term around. Have I ever defined it? Have you figured out what it means? Have you seen it over and over again as it appears in the New Testament and and come to understand what encouragement is? Is it really as important as I make it sound to be? And if it is, how do we do it? How do we actually encourage one another? Well, those are all the things that we want to see this morning as we look to God's Word. We want to do so understanding how encouragement is supposed to be an essential part of the gospel growth process in our lives as God's people. And one of the passages that speaks most clearly to this is found in Ephesians chapter 4. Here are verses that we're going to look at, verses Uh, 15 and 16, they come in the midst of Paul explaining how God has designed His church and how He has given gifts and leadership and yet how everyone is meant to be a part of the growth and ministry of the church. And we'll come back to look at the earlier verses in this chapter in a week or two, but here the focus is on the mutual encouragement that comes as God's people are speaking God's Word to one another. Follow along as I read Ephesians chapter 4. Now, it may seem odd to you that the passage that we're looking at to help us understand what encouragement is doesn't actually use the word encouragement. Nevertheless, this passage perfectly describes how encouragement is supposed to take place. If you go to a theological dictionary, uh, and you you need to understand, if you're ever seeking to understand what a word in the Bible means, understand that, that the English word we have has another word from a foreign language underlying it. So don't just go grab Webster 's dictionary, as helpful as that is. You need to go grab some other kind of resources going to tell you in how is the Bible using this term. and what you will find is that this term encourage or encouragement is essentially counsel, comfort, or exhortation from god 's word that produces spiritual growth in god 's people. And here Paul explains how this encouragement should come about in our lives. In other words, he basically explains to us what encouragement should look like in the church. And so, we want to look at this today. Three things that should characterize our encouragement of one another. First, first, encouragement should be Christ-centered. Encouragement should be Christ-centered. The point of these verses is found in the second half of verse 15 when Paul says, we are to grow up in, in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Understand this ultimately is the goal of the Christian life. This is what everything that we do is aiming towards, that we are to grow up into Christ. and The image is very much of a little baby, a child who is growing and maturing into a full stature of manhood. And what Paul says is, that stature of manhood, the pattern to which we are growing, is nothing less than Christ himself. You know, if you're a parent or a grandparent, um, I, I'm betting dollars or that's one of the things that you love to do is watch kids grow up. I mean, they're, they're born and it's great, but your mind immediately begins asking questions like, who do they look like? Do they look more like the mom or the dad? I think I see a little bit of grandma in there, a little bit of grandpa. Or, or you know, what what, is the, what kind of hair are they going to have? Is it going to be curly? Is it going to be straight? Is it going to be, are they going to be tall? Are they going to be short? Uh, you know, are they going to be a football player, a basketball player. All these kinds of questions. The last one was for the guys, uh, by the way. Uh, that uh, all these questions are coming into your mind. And frankly, a lot of times, we just don't know, do we? We don't know what we're going to get. In fact, Melinda likes to, uh, likes to joke about this very thing because when she was two, she had blonde hair and the doctor told her parents she would be six foot tall. Well, it didn't turn out that way. Um, totally different. And yet, in the midst of all that uncertainty with the natural growth process, Paul is clear, there is no uncertainty with the spiritual growth process. Every single Christian is being conformed to the same image, namely Christ Jesus Christ himself. There is no wondering. There is no confusion. There is a specific pattern into which God is shaping us. And Paul not only says that here. He makes it explicit in Romans chapter 8 as well. He says, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. If you have exercised faith in Christ... It is evidence that God himself has loved you even before your faith. And that the salvation that he has granted to you has its end goal of you looking like Christ. So think about that for a minute. When someone says, Jesus Christ, what do you think of? Well, probably his death and resurrection, I'm guessing. That would be the first thing that would likely come to our mind. But how often do you think of what the Puritans used to call the glory of Christ? In other words, the fullness of His character, His very being. How often do you think of the the sheer beauty of Christ as He expresses and embodies the manifold attributes of God? Things like holiness and justice and love and mercy and wisdom and joy. How often do you read the Scriptures and see those things Portrayed before your eyes. Friends, that is what God is desiring to shape you into. He is desiring to to shape and conform and mold and grow you up in your faith until you bear the undeniable stamp of Christ himself on your very soul. You know, on numerous occasions I have been out with my family and someone has made the comment looking at my kids. You know, if you ever wanted to, there's no way you could ever deny them. In other words, they look just like me. And you know, friends, that is exactly what, in some ways, God is going to say on the final day. For the growth process will be so perfected it will become undeniable both to the angels in glory and to one another that we bear the stamp of Christ's image on our very lives. That in in glory and in righteousness and wisdom and joy, not that we become God or anything like that, but rather He is the pattern after after which we ourselves are going to be conformed. He is not only the pattern of our growth, but notice He is also the means of our growth. In verse 16, we are told that it is in Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Uh, Paul is Uh, getting into this, uh, again, this imagery of of kind of tendons and, and bones and joints. And he is saying that in Christ, every member, every part of the body of Christ is held together in him. It's in him that all the parts work as they should, grow as they should, working together so that in totality, the church of God builds itself up specifically in love. The mark of whether or not a church is healthy is whether or not you go in and you see evident love, both for one another and for those that would come in from the outside. Is there an obvious godly affection? If so, if so, it's a healthy church. Now, it doesn't mean that, we're, that they're slap happy and they're just glad to be there and everything's great. It Is, is there love there? And yet this process is not only based on the image of Christ himself, but he is the means by which this growth process takes place. In other words, it's kind of like this. If one or two or three or five or ten people in the given church are not being rooted and grounded and grown up into the image of Christ, that short circuits the entire growth process of the church. So to the degree that all of us individually are growing, as we should, then together as God's people, as Crossway Christian Church, we will be growing as we should. Because this is the goal of our growth, growing up into the pattern of Christ, then the encouragement we offer one another for growth should be centered on Him. It should be driven by understanding who Christ is again and again and again and again. How do we do this? This brings us to the second characteristic that we see, and that is this our encouragement should be word driven. Our encouragement should be word driven. Paul wants us to grow up into Christ. More than that, he says this is God's plan for his people. We are to be ever increasingly conformed to his pattern of righteousness. But how does Paul say this is going to come about? What is the means by which we experience gospel growth through Christ-centered encouragement? He says this, the very beginning. It is by speaking the truth in love that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head that is into Christ. Now when you stop and think about that just for a second, there is something... Specifically now, there's something incredibly countercultural about that, because it seems that virtually every day words are becoming less and less important to our society. Now, words are still important, but with blogging and Facebook and Twitter, we are we are constrained to 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 reach an unhealthy economy of words. There's no reason to argumentation on Twitter. You understand that? I mean you've got one hundred and forty characters that includes punctuation and spacing that's all you've got. What does that mean? It means you have fun little quips or hot links or jokes and you know all those things are helpful, but you got to have more than that. you understand i mean think about think about movies and I like going to the movies, but one of the things that that is just bizarrely true today is that it's very rare you actually get a a movie that has a really good script. You know what I'm talking about? The dialogue, whether it is wit or whether it is just a certain turn of phrase that just powerfully explodes the scene, you just don't have it anymore. I mean, the highest grossing movie of all time just came out the other year, Avatar. And you know what all of the reviews say? The script is nothing but cheese upon cheese. Lousy dialogue. I mean, just unbearable. But it it all is simply there to hold together these amazing effects pieces, shot after shot after shot of special effects. And you know what? It's still the highest gross movie of all time. What does that say? It says that we are increasingly being removed and being changed from a word based culture into an image based culture. Now, to some degree, that's not inherently right or wrong. That's just the way it is. But it becomes wrong when it affects us as God's people and how we live and think because the Bible is clear God didn't make a movie you understand God didn't make a movie God didn't write a play God didn't produce a blog or a Twitter feed God wrote a book and that means we must read the book we must understand the book we must follow the arguments of the book not just wait for the movie We must read the book. And therefore, part of the growth process, Paul says, is not just reading the book, it's speaking the book. It's speaking God's words to one another. That is the means by which we are encouraged, we are comforted, we are counseled, we are built up in the faith, and gospel growth takes place. Loved ones, we have to be careful that we do not lose the centrality of the word, for the danger is already upon us. In a culture that is blessed with a high, high rate of literacy, free access to the Bible and thousands of books about the Bible, we still shun the Bible and the Word and speaking God's words as a priority in our life as it should. And this is more than just an unfortunate side effect of being in this culture. If we we lose the ability to speak God's words to one another, if we lose the ability to cherish it, to understand it, that means we lose the ability for spiritual growth. Do You understand that? It's not just enough to, to gather together and to pray and sing some songs. We don't grow that way in the long term. We grow by speaking the truth in love. That is what Paul says. He says spiritual life, spiritual growth comes to God's people as we proclaim His Word to one another. Understand what Paul is saying here, speaking the truth in love. Uh, probably I have believed this in the past and I've definitely heard it from pulpits in the present. Paul is not saying, the, the, you know, the, the inverse of the modern equivalent proverb, sometimes the truth hurts, baby. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever heard that before? People say that before? And the idea is, well, you got to speak the truth in love. You've got to tell people now, that was a mistake. We love you and we want you to get better, but that was, you shouldn't have done that. There's a place for that, but that's called correction. Okay. Paul here is saying, speak the truth in love, specifically in the context of not just the entire book, but especially Ephesians chapter 4. He means theological truth. Speak the truth that is found in God's word. Instruct one another. Proclaim the gospel message to one another in love. Not so much in a loving way, but understanding this is an act of love. You know, there are times when it's an act of love just to give someone a hug. That's encouragement. You know, it's appropriate sometimes just to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn, and to rejoice with those who rejoice. But that can't be all that we do. That cannot be the totality of the encouragement we are seeking to offer because Paul says that does not produce spiritual growth over the long term. I enjoy giving out hugs. I enjoy getting hugs. But that does not conform me to the image of Christ. The proclamation of God's word to my soul, to my mind, and so to my heart, that is what conforms me and grows me up into Christ Jesus Therefore, if we are to be in a continual encouragement to one another, then we must remind one another and teach one another the truth of God's word by hearing it again and again and again. Even the gospel itself, drawing our gaze again and again and again to our Savior as we grow into His stature. Now, implicit in what we've said, but we now need to make it explicit, is that all this takes place in the context of the community of faith. So, the third and final characteristic we need to understand is this encouragement should be community focused. Encouragement should be community focused. Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul even includes himself here. We are to grow up, he says. In other words, each part of the body of Christ has a role in making the whole body mature, speaking the word of God to each other. Mark this well. Individuals make up the church, and individuals need to be growing. But the effect of individuals growing is that the whole grows. I know it's America and we talk about you know my rights and my freedoms and individuality and our whole culture is based on that. But we have to break out of that and understand the Bible is much more concerned with the community, with the whole than the individual. Again, don't make me say, well, it's not important if I grow in Christ. Absolutely it's important. But understand it's partly important because you make up the people of God. And as you are maturing, as you are growing, then the entirety of God's people grow and mature. I was listening to uh, a pastor out of Washington, D.C., Mark Dever, one time talking about uh, being with another student at a church as they were pursuing uh, one of his many degrees. I don't even know where he was at. Uh, could have been in in uh, England for the time he was doing his Ph.D. But uh, he noticed his friend's other student would come in right before the sermon. He would hear the sermon and then he would leave as soon as the sermon was done. And one time Mark said, you know, why don't you get involved? Why don't you come earlier for Bible study? Why don't you stay in, in fellowship and talk with people? Why don't you get more involved in these things? And he said, well, I just find that, you know, uh, I would just be, be slowed down in my growth process. I'd be slowed down in my maturing if I, if I hung around with all those people who were so much more immature than me. You know what Mark said? He said, yeah, you're probably right. But you ever think you might speed them up a little? I mean, I mean, let, let's face it. We are all at different levels of maturity, Right? Some of us are are farther ahead than natural. Most of us are probably not nearly as far along as we should be. And yet, it's when we come together that there is mutual growth and encouragement that takes place. It is all of us helping one another to advance in our knowledge and understanding of God, in our love of God, and in our conformity to Christ Jesus. That is what Paul is driving at here. But consider some other passages that speak to this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is reminding the Christians in Thessalonica of the truth of the resurrection of God's people after the pattern of the resurrection of Christ. They've been concerned about this, they've been worried about this, and he writes to them this this theology, and then in verse 18 he says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So how is Paul saying encouragement takes place? He says, take the very words that I've just instructed you with. Take the theology of the resurrection of the believer in Christ and proclaim them to one another. Encourage one another by reminding them of this truth. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Paul says, in the context of gathered worship, a meeting like this, the word of Christ is supposed to dwell richly in us. And as it is dwelling richly in us, it is then supposed to come richly out of us in admonition and wisdom toward one another as we teach one another. And notice what he says. This even happens as we sing. Now, some of you admonish me and encourage me when you sing. And some of you don't admonish me and encourage you when you sing, and let me tell you, it has nothing to do with how well you sing. I had this guy, and he might listen to this, so I won't tell you his name. But we went, we were in seminary together, and I would, and this guy was—I mean, he had to have been one of the sweetest, most joyful Christians I have ever met in my life. He was just a great guy, but he could not carry a tune in a proverbial bucket. But that didn't stop him from worshiping God. I mean, he would just get out there and he would belt at the top of his lungs the most nail-screeching blackboard notes you've ever heard in your life. And at first just like, oh my goodness. And yet, even in the midst of that, the look on his face, the sweetness of his countenance said, he believes what he's singing. It's an act of loving worship to the God who has saved him in song. That that the words that he was singing were truthful words, theological words, driven by the scriptures that pointed us to Christ, and therefore I was encouraged in my faith by seeing him sing. You understand how that works? Let me encourage you. Sometimes it's helpful because you need to be able to focus, I understand that, but let me encourage you don't just keep your eyes closed the whole time that you're singing. Look around, don't just focus on what you're doing vocally but listen to those around you listen to them sing things about your god and your savior be reminded of the truth that all of us believe and be encouraged that you're just not in this alone that we are in this all together there are people in this room who believe the same things about god the same things about christ the same things about salvation that you believe and they have been recipients of those things Paul says that's encouragement and that's how growth comes. I know it doesn't seem very manly to sing, guys, but consider Moses sang. David, the man whose hands were so stained with the blood of war he was not allowed to build the temple, sang, profoundly sang, wrote songs about singing. Consider even in church history, Not only did Jesus sing with his disciples before he went to the cross, but you have people like the Scottish Covenanters who believed that it was King Jesus who stood as head of the church, not the King of England, and were willing to die for it. And as they were preparing the lines of battle to try and defend their families against soldiers, they would in fact sing hymns to rouse themselves into faith for battle, to fight for Jesus. It may not seem all that manly, but let me tell you, it is the height of manliness to be conformed to the image of our Savior who Himself proclaimed the praises of His heavenly Father before other people. And in doing so, you will encourage those around you, perhaps even your own wife and children. Let's think about Hebrews 10, one last passage. The author reminds them, Halfway through of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he brings assurance to them of their salvation. And he says, based upon the gospel, do this and do this and do this. And one of the last things he says is this in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near Understand that your very presence is an encouragement to people because, again, it says you're showing up, hearing the Word, and at the very least you're here because you think there's something to be gained by this act. Some of you may be scared enough to pray in public, but do you understand that if you just showed up on Wednesday night, it would be an encouragement to those around you? Because you are implicitly saying, God is a God who deserves not only to be praised, but He is a God who deserves to have our requests come to Him because it shows our dependence upon Him. It is the very continual gathering together in a Christ-centered, Word-driven way by which we are meant to build one another up and encourage one another in our faith, even to stir one another up to loving more and to doing the kind of good deeds that God prepared beforehand for us to do. I hope you're beginning to get the, the clarity of the line of scripture that says, this is the means by which God's people are encouraged and built up and grown in the image of Christ. It's by speaking and hearing the word of God proclaimed. So the question is then, for the next few minutes, what do we do about this? If that is true, that growth in Christ comes as we encourage one another with God's word, then how do we form a plan for growth? let me suggest a few ways that you should be seeking to receive and provide encouragement for gospel growth. First of all, you have to know the word to share the word. In order to be able to encourage someone, you've got to have something to encourage with. I'm not saying be a Bible scholar. I'm not saying have the book memorized. I'm not even saying have Philippians memorized. What I'm saying is simply read the Bible and walk away with something that encourages your heart that you can share with someone else. Drop drop the anchor deep so that you're never far from what God is saying. Then beyond that, let me encourage you to start encouraging other people by beginning at home. Husbands, wives, spend time together looking at God's Word. Read a few verses, read a chapter, either together or by yourselves, and then come together and say, here's what I read and here's what I thought about it and here's what it meant to me. And here's maybe even how I think I need to grow. And maybe, I know this is a big step, husbands, but let's not be red-green here. Maybe actually confess sin to your wife that you're not loving her the way that you should. And vice versa, wives to husbands. Start there, but then don't end there. Go on to your family. Some of you have children still at home. Some of you have grandchildren. It only takes 15 minutes to read them a Bible story. And tell them, here's why we should love God because of what He tells us in this story, who He is and what He's done for us. Maybe you're encouraging faith in your children. Maybe you'll see God bring faith to them for the first time. And it'll be through that, in that, that proclamation of the gospel again and again that God saves your children even through that. But then start thinking about others in the church. How can you encourage your Bible study teacher? How can you encourage your community group leader? Well, it goes back to the first thing. Have something to say. I mean, even if you don't read the book, read a couple of the Bible verses in the book, You know know what I'm saying? Have something that shows, you know what? I'm here and I want to be an encouragement to you. There is nothing more discouraging for a teacher to say, what, okay, uh, hopefully you read, what does verse 3 mean and just hear crickets chirping? Because that doesn't just mean they didn't read. To the godly teacher it means, They didn't care enough about their own soul, the souls of others, and the God who saved them to read a few verses out of his book this week. That's what that means to the teacher. Now, maybe that was not your thought process, but ultimately, priority says that's true. That's just the way it is, but it doesn't need to be that way. Take open the book, experience encouragement, and turn that back around to encourage other people as well. But what about... Beyond the formal gatherings of us together, let me encourage you. Find somebody that needs to be encouraged. Perhaps you're looking, you're noticing someone, and they seem to be an immature Christian. Lady, you're looking across, and you see another lady, and you say, you know what? I think they could use some encouragement. Say, hey, let's get together. Let's read the Bible every other week for the next three months, and let's see what happens. Guys, the same thing. You see someone who is, who is young and the faith or immature, and you say, hey, I want to encourage that guy. Perhaps it's somebody not even in this church. Perhaps it's someone at work. Maybe, maybe you know they're lost. And you say, hey, let's sit down. Let's, you know, have um, you ever thought about who Jesus is? Do you want to know who Jesus is? Let's sit down and read the Gospel of Mark. Then we'll take one, one lunch break once a week, or maybe every other week, and we'll just read the Gospel of Mark, and we'll see who Jesus is. And then you can decide whether or not you'll follow him like I have. Maybe you sit back and you acknowledge I'm immature. I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe you're a parent and you say, I don't know how I'm supposed to parent the way God wants me to. You find another couple who has been there and done that, perhaps are in the midst of it, and you think they look like they're doing it right. They're not perfect, but they seem to know something I don't know. You say, hey, will you encourage me? Can we get together and can we read God's word and can we pray and talk about it? And and, and can you help bring me along? You see, what this means is, Gospel growth, as we'll talk more about later, is not dependent upon Pastor Joe or Pastor Richard or Pastor John. It's not dependent upon a community group leader. It's not dependent upon a Sunday school leader. It's dependent upon all of us working together, every part, joining it together as Christ desires us to be, either giving or receiving, probably both, encouragement by speaking God's words to one another. Sinclair Ferguson is a professor at Westminster Theological Seminary. He is also a pastor of a church in South Carolina, although he is not originally from there. If you were to ever hear Sinclair Ferguson speak, he has a very distinct Scottish brogue that comes through as he was born and raised just outside Glasgow, if I'm not mistaken. And one of the things he says he loves to do, now being a transplanted Scot living in Uh, the South, particularly as he is making a hospital visit to begin chatting with someone in the elevator. And what will invariably happen is perhaps even as he's stepping out to say, you know, you have an accent. Where are you from? And with that thick Scottish brogue, he loves to say the twinkle in his eye, Charleston, South Carolina. (laughs) To which they're going, what? (laughs) There's a distinct accent to his voice. And I wonder... I wonder if God would not be pleased if there would be a distinct accent to our voice and our words as we talk. That they would not so much be known for any accent of any particular ethnic region of this world, but they would be known because there's always an accent of encouragement. So we're sharing a verse, we're speaking God's words to one another, seeking to build one another up that we might grow into a greater conformity, a greater image Of Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. Father you have called us. As individuals to faith. But Father you have not called us to live alone in that faith. God you have called us. To live together. As a part of your people the church. And Father the way in which we continue to grow. Is to be exposed to your word. Father certainly privately, at home, in the car, God, as we are listening to or reading your word, God, growth and intimacy comes. But Father, you have also ordained that we are to hasten that growth, that we are to speed it along, that we are to bring it to its fullness by encouraging one another with your word. God, I pray that we would worry less about what people would think of us if we don't know all the answers that if our responses or our thoughts seem simple, that, Father, we would desire to not only honor You and obey You, but show love for one another by committing to prayerfully, joyfully encourage one another with Your words. God, for that to happen, we pray that You would speak first to us, that You would so convince us of the truth of what Paul has said, that to do otherwise it would be unthinkable. God, free us from... Fear or hesitancy in this by reminding us that we are your children. That our sins have been covered through the blood of Christ and we stand faultless before your throne. Therefore, God, we need not fear anything because we are right with you. It's in our Savior's name that we pray. Amen.